Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Join us on our journey into the past, the present, and the future as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we're going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power. Now more than ever. Let's do it, Marco. Yeah. I, I see you're wearing uh, a music shirt. It's, it's a rare occasion for you to wear a shirt with a band on it future of music also also the past but hey eddie is always represented <laughs> well isn't that what we talk about today heavy metal what, what is it it's uh, it's all heavy metal we're not talking about anything else just heavy metal today all right hopefully our, uh, our guests are okay with that unusual uh, path no well, but we'll talk we'll talk music right we are that's talking. what you told me that's that's what i said and uh, i'm sticking to it so <laughs> So this is I was more of a punk and hardcore kid myself so there you go I'm I'm with you there Seth and uh, let's just dig into it this is, this is a new unusual gatherings and we have two guests joining us Seth and Shaggy and I'm gonna I'm gonna let them each say a word about themselves in relation to music what are, what are you guys up to uh, in the music space and then we'll dig in Seth uh, a little bit about yourself to kick it off Sure. Um, I'm a composer and an artist and a, a researcher. Uh, I'm the assistant director of the Computer Music Center and Sound Art Program at Columbia University, and I'm the artist in residence uh, at Nokia Bell Labs. Um, I've been in that position for three years, and it's an indefinite one, so I have a I maintain a studio uh, at the Bell Labs Murray Hill campus in New Jersey. Uh, haven't been there in a couple of months per the COVID restrictions, but um, uh, office across the hall from an anechoic chamber that is the place where most of music technology in the 20th century was invented. Uh, all three forms of microphones, uh, uh, condenser, dynamic, and uh, electric condensers were invented in that room, which uh, ribbon mics were invented down the road at RCA, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, uh, and um, I'm uh, building. Uh, I'm building instruments. I'm teaching coursework in uh, in uh, fabrication and uh, uh, embodied cognition and instrument design. So how bodies intersect with technology. Um, my research at the labs. Uh, I do two main threads. One is around haptics, uh, uh, haptic reinforcement for gestural interaction, but also haptics as a parallel channel to uh, music as a uh, or music or speech as a kind of emotional reinforcement uh, uh, attempt uh, as Nokia tries to disaggregate the cell phone for the future. Uh, and then on the other side, I work on communication theory, so um, uh, ways of mapping uh, how people convey information to one another. Um, I come at it from a music point of view, so I'm there as a, I believe the phrase they use in-house is a innovation wedge. I'm a disruptor. I come into the conversation with, uh, you know, um, non-linear divergent thinking in a room full of linear engineers and it causes trouble and then I leave and uh, uh, like a like the Terminator walking out of the fire. Uh, so, um, so yeah. So that's the main that's the main the main thrust at the moment. And, and that's why you're here. Uh, and that's exactly, why. exactly. <laughs> Mix it up. Then we're done. Yeah. Yes. Maggie, why are you here? Yes. Why am I here? Well, yeah. first of all, I love you guys. Uh, <laughs> I love what you guys do. I love that it's the intersection of you know technology and, and society and, and all the kind of complex problems we face and. Um, as Seth was just mentioning, the way you kind of come at it from the side to see how we can push and shift things around when we feel like we need to to affect change. I think that's very interesting. So that's why I love you guys. Um, <laughs> soft plug for ITSP. Um, so I, I'm, um, I'm a hacker. I'm a musician. I'm an artist. Um, security nerd for cybersecurity. I've been doing that 20 years in the industry. Um, uh, on, the, on the music front, since that's our topic today, um, you know, Jasmine by you know, I go back to like fifth grade playing the horn, jazz horn, blues, etc. Uh, and then in the last whatever 20 years, I've been focusing more heavily on electronic music, 
um, subtractive synthesis, additive synthesis, FM synthesis, different types of synthesis. Um, I, I got, I was into this a long time ago, like 12 years ago, that's modular synthesis. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I went through a divorce. Uh, I lost all that in the divorce. I swear I'd never go back because some people call this uh, instead of Euro rack, which is a proper name, people call it Euro crack because it's, uh, it's, it's no two systems are alike and you just want to collect all the modules in the world and understand them all. Um, so I've, I've kind of dove back in that recently, semi-reluctantly, because uh, the more classic instruments like these here, and this is all a mess because I'm redoing the whole thing, um, mm -hmm. I, you, you have kind of less time to do that. So um, I don't know, by way of introduction, uh, security nerd, jazz horn player by trade, but uh, I, I got both my horns stolen a long time ago when I moved from the Caribbean to the United States, and I swore I'd never play the trumpet again because it literally broke my heart that somebody would steal out of all the things the movers took, they only stole my two horns, my jazz horn uh, and, and my flugelhorn. Uh, it broke my heart in two, and I said I'd never touch them again. But I still, nowadays, 20 years later, I'll still mess with them. <laughs> Fun. Nice. Fun. Love it. Fellow, uh, fellow oh. trumpeter, I have a, a flugel and a cornet. Oh, you do? Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's yeah. why I, I can tell by the embouchure there. You got the... Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's a little less tight than it used to be, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to mention, too, um, I worked a long time ago seeing the dot-com boom uh, at, at, at Lucent, and I had a lot of tie back to New Jersey to Bell Labs, like Bill Cheswick oh, and sure. a bunch of those mm -hmm. folks doing some early weird crypto and, and internet mapping efforts and that kind of thing. Oh, um, fun. Yeah, they acquired a company called International Networking Services that I was a part of. Uh, mm -hmm. And so by way of acquisition, I worked from for a while. But, um, but hats off. I mean, Bell Labs is... Um, one of the places, at least, especially then, and I'm sure now, uh, although I'll claim ignorance as to what they're up to now, um, is always just kind of completely blown my mind, the, the, the level of, uh, of effort that they, they can create and solve. A, you give them a problem and they will find a way to solve it is the best way to mm -hmm. put how I remember it. So I dealt with some of the smartest people in my career way back in the 90s, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. No, it's a, it's a crazy place. I, I, uh, Dunal Hernan, who... Uh, is the director of the experiments in our technology division that I'm a part of, uh, said, um, if you have an idea, if it isn't uh, 10x or 100x change in the current state, then it's not worth doing. And second, if you know how to solve it, don't worry about bringing it to us because uh, if it can be solved, someone else can waste their time on it. We're here to solve things that can't get solved, nice. uh, which is a nice uh, attitude for uh, uh, intersecting with the arts in particular. So, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Love it, and and that's that's the reason for this show today. Is oh, I mean, we're we're sitting here with two hackers <laughs> pushing the envelope, right? So you may not may not have considered yourself a hacker, but you certainly are in, in our mind. Not, not only that, Sean, but this is actually why we called it unusual gathering. And I think yeah. this is an idea that just just to go back in time of the concept of unusual gathering. And and Shaggy Scott, you, you've been on a few of these, and we talk cybersecurity, we talk the future. In 200 years what's going to happen but actually this feels like really unusual in a way because i feel like we put together two people that probably they were not going to go interact anytime mm -hmm. soon and and i'd like to see what what this conversation is is about so sean yeah, you'll lead I'm, it I'm, I'm ready for my mind to be blown so the, the... <laughs> i'm a horn player i get that <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so so this I saw Seth perform in, in Dublin, uh, an event called InspireFest. Uh, he and another gentleman were demonstrating some of the haptics work, uh, connecting technology to instruments. And, and, and Seth, you said you're creating new instruments. And I was like, yeah, but we have drums and horns and, and wind instruments. And what, what else can you create, right? And Seth demonstrated some of that. So that was kind of the first part of it. And then I saw some, some articles talking about how sound and music can change us and uh, make us feel differently and think differently, obviously. But then when you connect that to technology and artificial intelligence and manipulation and some of the other crazy stuff we talk about, I was like, this is a nice weird mix of things that could go really, really cool <laughs> mm -hmm. or really, really wrong. And really uh, yeah, so that's kind of the impetus for this. It was, it was first driven by by Seth and, and the, the great experience I had watching that performance and then all the crazy stuff that came to mind after that. So, um, and then Scott, uh, Shaggy, we, 
we, uh, we talked with you about hacking and everything we see behind you isn't out of the box. I was telling Seth before he joined. That's good stuff. <laughs> it, it's all been changed in some way. So not unlike what Seth's doing. So, so I'm going to start, Seth, can you describe what some of the things you're working on that may interest people in, in the sense of, <laughs> like I said, we have drums and, and, and horns and, and wind instruments and other, other percussion type items, but why do we need to create new instruments? Why do we need to create more sound? Why do we need to push the envelope in, in what's possible with music? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, uh, changing instruments is not new. Uh, uh, adding things. I mean, you think about uh, Wynton Marsalis' trumpet, both of you are trumpet players, and, and that, uh, that luthier who makes that trumpet built the mouthpiece into the instrument and it's specific for his face. And uh, that's a, you know, a form of customization that's not dissimilar from, you know, modding, modding uh, 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 cooler systems on, on tower PCs for gamers and all of the same kinds of things that people would otherwise do. Um, for me, I mean, I'm interested in this, you know, we have this canon of 700 years of Western classical music, which for better or for worse comes out of kind of bourgeois European, uh, uh, particularly white European uh, uh, experience. And, uh, and it's been a kind of, you know, I grew up very rurally in upstate New York. I was a skater, uh, you know, uh, uh, shaped head, uh, but without, but with bangs, listening to the Misfits and Fugazi and going skating in, yes. uh, in Albany. And, uh, and, uh, and I got really into classical music uh, by way of a teacher who played us some of the craziest stuff, uh, Cage's Sonatas and Interludes for Prepared Piano, which are these pieces where he inserted, uh, John Cage inserted uh, screws into the piano strings because they didn't have percussion. They couldn't afford to hire percussionists for the dance troupe that he was doing dance work for. So he put like rubber grommets in between strings and, and metal pieces and strings and move things around. And then he ended up with this like percussion instrument. Um, uh, and this was done in, uh, this was done in the, in the fifties, right? In the late forties, early fifties. And, uh, uh, and part of it was out of necessity, but in the process of figuring that out to, you know, save money, uh, uh, he also invented a new instrument. And so, you know, you can hear um, Aphex Twin on the drug use album uses the cage preparations for uh, prepared piano for the samples for that whole album. So it's not like out of the contemporary consciousness to be playing around with, with that sort of thing. Um, for me, I'm 3D printing uh, inserts to instruments, uh, uh, fabricating key modifications for instruments to be able to do things that are impossible in other ways. And so I just, I think in the 21st century, uh, we have rapid prototyping and fabrication technologies at our disposal. Why not take 700 years of history and rupture it rather than uh, just celebrate it for what it represented, make it uh, mean something to us now with uh, tools and sounds that are much more from the palette that we listen to every day. Um, you know, turn on the radio, hear scratchy, trap bass uh, sounds or, um, you know, uh, uh, crazy samples in, uh, in sound effects for Foley on, on movies, that stuff shouldn't be out of the realm of people who play physical instruments either. So um, I've been trying to think of ways to modify physical instruments through technology that give people access to a range of sounds and timbres that make them more expressive, able to say or do things that the other, that the regular instrument you can't do just is limited by physics that's what i that's how i true hacker speak by the way oh good <laughs> well you know so the the thing that that comes to mind is can we use technology to explore those sounds in the form of a computer and some algorithms or or should or do we use physical items like you're describing and what, what's what's the difference of the benefit of one versus the other i mean i think you know it's funny i was prepared for all these future music questions in my head uh uh, uh and i think the one thing that i was thinking about today is more more than ever uh people seem to be moving back towards the need like we were 100 percent network 
mostly cloud-based, uh, uh, and everybody thought for a while that music was going to stay in that kind of computer-only domain. But as I'm sure Shaggy can attest to, the world of hardware is doing nothing but expanding exponentially again. And the reason for that is that there are some things for which it's better to just take your hand and grab it and touch it. Uh, that haptic feedback is something that people want, and I think um, I think that uh, the the same thing goes for, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with telephone people and, uh, and if I, you know, I'm not talking to you through this little box, but were I to be talking th to you through the box, I couldn't lean it up against my head the way I used to be able to with a Bell Labs Model 500 phone, like the one that was rental for everybody in, in America for 30 years. Um, that uh, usability situation that was invented for that phone was about uh, what it felt like to be on the phone. And I think one of the problems with the telephone industry right now is that it doesn't care at all what you're do whether you are on the phone. Like <laughs> the, they didn't make the device to be good for using. Uh, they, they made it good for computing, which is mapping computing onto the phone, right? So the, what you end up with, I think culturally is a bunch of people who are trying to figure out what are the places where we can selectively bring physical haptic touching uh, back into computation. Um, and so physical modeling synthesis is great. There's all sorts of really interesting ways that you can uh, mess with sounds in the box and I do them, but I'd rather, I think that there were, there was like a dogmatically analog period and a dogmatically computational period. And now it's like, I can do really crazy things if I can bring those two things together. Um, I can expand my palette. I can be more expressive. I can, I can get things that are unpredictable or unexpected that aren't programmed in. Um, uh, modular is so great. The synthesizer that uh, that Shaggy was showing uh, off to his right um, or his left, rather, uh, because the happy accident is built into the way that those things are designed. Uh, and so, happy accidents are very hard in computing. Like stumbling on something in a mode of discovery uh, is something that a designer has to build in. It's like, you know, I'm, you know, if you've played through like Zelda Breath of the Wild or something like that, where you've, where you, you realize, oh, I've never seen this thing before. Like it took them years to build that game so that there could actually be discovery, happy accident into the game structure. Um, and with, uh, minimum viable product and uh, development times being faster and faster. It's just not possible to build that sort of aleatory uh, chance-ness into systems that are going to be commercially viable. So, but it's built into hardware. That's how we deal with things we touch is that your finger slips and all of a sudden you're playing a different note and you're like, oh, I didn't realize the instrument could do that. If I make that mistake, maybe that's an exploit, right? Like that's a, that's a system exploit that I can, you know, bust mm -hmm. apart. So, and all oh, software is built of modules that are reused, right? Libraries okay. that are shared, and so explore it once, and you, you get it in a hundred different different apps. Go ahead, Mark. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to bring Scott into the conversation because I, I like the idea of, of course, being a, you know, a tech cybersecurity hacker with that kind of mind. And again, I mean, Seth is the, just the same thing. You, just, you can put labels on it, but that's how we how we feel and what inspire us. You can be a hacker in literature because you play with different way to punctuate things, for example. But uh, mm -hmm. putting together that, that, that cybersecurity technology, projecting into what is gonna come in the future and then Scott going and playing with, with music the way you do, uh, how that comes together. Uh, try to mm -hmm. give us a picture of what go what's going on in your head if you can. So, and, you know, I, I think Shania and I talked about this one time, I think it was at RSA or something over a beer, but I can't remember, but, um, but yeah, so I'm, I, you know, as, as Seth pointed out with the modular gear, how it's coming back in vogue because it's more tactile, et cetera. I'm a live artist, right? So I, I, I don't DJ. A lot of people look at the blinky lights and think he DJs, but I play live instruments. I always have, whether that's an electronic instrument or a horn, I've never been drawn to loops or computer mu um, looped music, if that makes sense, right? To use a, a casual phrase. Um, so when I look at a modular setup like the one we have here, and I, you know, this is just because it's fun for the, for the, I guess the audience, if that makes sense. But um, this, this whole thing for me, all these wires, all this madness that most people look at to say, that's crazy. 
uh, and I had I had three walls of this, by the way, at one point in my, my life. Uh, all this is almost as powerful as this in terms of just a drum machine, right? This is a, a very similar to a 909. This is an 808 everybody recognizes. This is another drum machine of mine. It looks way different because it's got all these wires uh, and all these modules are all by different vendors and whatnot. But uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. This, this will be a, a sonic visual example of the most basic idea, Sean, that I think we could, we, we could talk about probably the rest of the podcast with Seth, is if that's a kick drum, right? And if, can, if, tell me if you can see this red light right here where my finger's pointing. Mm -hmm. And then this other one, right? So that's how you would normally sequence something. But if I grab, okay, if I have this one over here, uh, yeah. So if I take this sequencer over here, this has got some algorithms built into it, unlike the analog sequencer I showed you just prior. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to trigger it with now this sequencer, okay? Those green dots on this left, one, two, three, four, I don't know if you can see that. Mm -hmm. Tell me how that looks. Is that okay? Yep. Mm -hmm. okay. If I just twitch this knob, the algorithms will take care of the volume up. Kick drum, so it's low frequency. But you see how it's fairly algorithmically just determining all the way up to everything. So as a live performer, if I'm going to do a drum fill, I just went back and forth on the floor. Right? To do that with this would require at least one finger and probably some cut. And so there's a billion examples of that. I mean, probably uh, 10 to 15 to 20% of these modules looking right here have algorithms built into them some form or another. This little FX model is the equivalent of 64 guitar pedals, and it's only this big. And all of those are emulated or, or made via algorithms, right? Everything from reverbs to delay, all the stuff you think of for a classic guitar player. And it's this big because algorithms can drive space efficiency and, um, and liberate what I call liberate the artist to, um, to focus more on the dance floor and the dancer and the kind of the ergonomics of dance music, if you will, because the reason why tactile music works for me when I'm playing is because I can look at the dance floor and turn a knob and they can see me turn the knob and I will and I will show with my body language I'm about to and people lose their minds over that. Whereas if you just have the song doing the same thing pre-recorded, right. people necessarily lose their minds, right? So this is this goes and the best techno artists in the world, I swear, are the ones that you find in the street in Brazil banging on buckets with two sticks, and they got buckets and cans and, and, a, and a soup tray. We've all seen the videos; they go viral. They're so amazing. Those are the best instruments and the best ergonomics for techno in the hands of a proper music artist, right? So there's always this push-pull in this modular community between. On one end of the pendulum, we describe these folks as noodlers that just like to experiment. Turn that kick drum off and just like geek out to see what modulation might do or create some weird sound that's never been created before in their minds um, or to experiment. And then on the other side, they're like the actual artist trying to produce music that somebody else might even want to listen to, let alone dance to. And, right. and in that continuum, you have all manner of personality and kind of, of, uh, of experimentation and, and, and goals with outcomes. So, I look at these as tools to get a musical outcome fit for a dance floor, but most people in this community honestly don't necessarily do that. They, um, I, I've been part of the haptic community. I've, I, I've, I'm a, a dancer by heart as well. I got into techno because I love dancing my butt off, um, and I have since the 80s right, in warehouses. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, the haptic aspect for me it was always meant to allow a dancer to influence the sound. That's my ultimate killer app, let the dancer influence the sound. And so if you put a dancer with a system like that and you give them a haptic system, they can cut and modulate the cutoff filter or some or an envelope or amount of FX and all that. And, and, right. and their, their expression lends to, to, the, to the experience and, and, uh, and, and not an, an insignificant way. Right? You're so, now connecting the, the, the machine with the human, right? Which is probably the, the part of the conversation I, I want to get into right now, well, Sean. Like how, how are we interacting? Like how music affect humanity? We, we know it's always done from a psychological perspective from the way you feel and, but also at a business level. And, you know, we can go talk about artificial intelligence where we're going with this, but I, I like this connection. Like, so Seth, maybe 
or Sean, if you if you have a question ready, but how how do you look at the future of what you guys are doing at the lab, and what's the reason why you created these all new things, right? What's yeah, the goal, the I mean, vision? I mean the the underlying uh, mission at the moment is. Um, people are more disconnected than they've ever been really uh, as much as there's been increases in broadband network access. Uh, uh, we've still done by eliminating uh, person to person, voice to voice communication as the dominant mode that people uh, communicate over distance with text. We've limited the subset of emotional reference. We don't have uh, the same, uh, the same subtlety of tone of voice to to draw on, uh, uh, and as and people people hack that right, like emojis are the result of that. Um, uh, GIF use, uh, 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 meme use is an attempt to try to better capture the spirit of the thing you want to convey emotionally to someone. And so, um, we've been looking at the labs at uh, at how music can serve as a microcosm for, um, and how specifically musicians, right? Like you look at a chamber ensemble uh, or a band and, uh, and it, all it takes is a nod from the singer that the band should vamp uh, two more goes on this chorus so that we can keep the audience energy up. All it takes is a, a subtle gesture of the right arm of a string player and a string quartet to get the group uh, to uh, lean into a phrase and carry emotion to the audience in the context of a performance. So what is it that highly effective musicians do when they communicate with each other or they communicate with their tools? Uh, that we can then bring on to the the uh, telecommunications landscape uh, uh, as a way as a mode of interaction. So we're basically looking at a bunch of expert users who have uh, deep, deep, deep expert knowledge of how to use their bodies and their uh, and their uh, um, uh, and their skills to uh, enhance emotive create uh, uh, emotive um, uh, experience delivery for an audience uh, observing them and looking at what structures exist that might be uh, uh, mappable onto new technologies that could help us uh, expand the ability to express ourselves um, uh, you know but all of that comes from a um, uh, from a belief that um, music played by people whether they're playing it with technology or they're playing it with each other. Uh, I mean, instruments are already, always already technology, right? So um, the piano is a monstrous uh, 19th century uh, uh, industrial revolution uh, 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 machine, right? It's like thousands of little intricate parts that, you know, transfer the subtlest dynamic motion over to a string that resonates perfectly with all of the acoustical majesty of whatever, um, uh, you know, that and, you know, uh, the birth of techno uh, coming out of the necessity of uh, the black community in Detroit, uh, taking the failed uh, Japanese uh, uh, tools of the 808 and the TB303 uh, uh, that were ending up in pawn shops and turning them into uh, a temporary warehouse respite from the stresses of everyday life, right? Like these are, yep, there we go, um, uh, TB303 remake. Um, Kevin Saunderson, Derek May, Juan Atkins, you know, they all, like, like Shaggy's talking about, uh, were uh, uh, maybe there was a turntable, but there was also a drum machine and there was also a synthesizer and those things were being played real time in front of people uh, riding the crowd, conveying, uh, conveying energy. Uh, and so I think uh, the ability for music to convey that energy for people who are in a flow state to, um, uh, to connect with one another through a shared experience uh, is something that's deeply missing in the way that we communicate. And it's become even more necessary now that we're in this like COVID situation where we're all communicating over Zoom all the time. Um, I've modified five times, whether I'm using my built-in microphone, my headphones or whatever, I finally locked in on a, on a setup that makes me actually feel like I, I can speak with you. And 
you'd never believe it. The thing that does it is side tone, which is a Bell Labs invention from the 50s where you pump a little bit of the sound of the microphone into the earpiece so that you can hear how loud you're being. You know, it's those sorts of things that, that uh, you know, you, you hack until you're able to actually express yourself in a way that feels like you should, right? Instead of like, oh, come on, you know, uh, which always feels a little bit underwhelming. Yes. And Shaggy, uh, how, how is this going to shape our society? Uh, I mean, we're, we're faced with social distancing at the moment, yet people are coming together to get their voices heard. And I've seen seen some folks come together with music, uh, playing music already recorded, produce, uh, creating music uh, on the fly. Uh, and how, how how can we better express ourselves uh, with technology? What do you what do you see uh, you know, happening? So Seth brought up my 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 love and my focus, I guess, which is Detroit techno. Um, you know, that's all the songs I produce. Uh, all the vinyl I'm on, it's all Detroit Techo. Those are my, all my heroes you just mentioned. I've been mentored by Jeff Mills for a small time. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. You know, I was working with Mike Huckabee just before he passed. He passed away from COVID, speaking of COVID, not more than about a month ago now. And it broke the community because he was the magic and the man behind so many of the sounds that drove Detroit Techno. And I was actually working on, with him on a sound bag for that synthesizer there. Mm -hmm. uh, I commissioned him to, to work on because only Mike can keep it simple and, and still blow your mind. So, so the few, you know, Sean, you bring up the future, like where are we going? Um, Techno's always had this kind of dystopian uh, sense of the future. And it's also had a sense of hope for a better future. And it's also had a sense of, of pain and punishment it brought into the music, especially early, you know, nineties Detroit techno, for example, or, or Cologne uh, in, in, in Germany. Um, and, and it, we, if, the thing I find, find fascinating about today is that we arrived at that damn future. So when I was a kid, you know, let's say in, let's say in 85 or 86 dancing in a warehouse, we envisioned a future full of technology, full of improvements, full of a, a better life, a different life, and certainly one that was inclusive. Um, we all know the acronym PLUR, peace, love, unity, respect. And that was the vision of hope that would draw us out from, I mean, people say raves, people never discriminated in raves and I will disagree with that. We had one, uh, um, we did discriminate when we let people into raves and you know what it was? We said, if you had a bad attitude, you're not in this rave, right? You're not in this party. You're not in this group. And it certainly wasn't based on skin color, but it was definitely discriminatory if you had a bad attitude and you brought bad energy into that scene and you were just blacklisted, right? So um, that view of the future was for a time around 2000 in the year 2020, like we see in the movies, you know, 2020, this is kind of a crazy year, but you know, we come up as kids thinking, what's 2020 going to be like, well, here we are. Right. And, yep. and look around and it kind of sucks. Um, you, you know, <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's a lot of good going on, a lot of amazing technology and a lot of stuff we've done like the internet and broadband and um, all, you know, computer in our pocket and all that. But um, has it really evolved us as humans? Like the humanity aspect kind of sucks compared to what it did in the, in the 90s. I mean, or the 60s before that, you know what I mean? Or the summer of love. I mean, those things happen, those, those cycles of humanity happen for a reason. And I can only hope that we come out of this, forgive the friends, 2020 shit show, dumpster fire. I don't know where my dumpster fire pin is. I usually wear it in my hat. Um, but we're gonna come out of this with a, with a, with a raw necessity to arrive at that darn future that we did envision as kids in the 80s and 90s, because it's still- Is music the answer? I, I, I whole, I, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, Sean, when I say it is not only the answer, it is, it is in, truthfully the final and last frontier of humanity. It is the only medium by which you can literally um, change somebody from the inside out or change yourself from the inside out. It's the only place that can give you uh, the sense of solitude that's on par with perfect silence in an isolation chamber. A kick drum will do that for you in a bass spin as well. Um, there, there's, it, it will, the only thing that can find discord and tension and draw that out in a way that, that tickles the brain in a way that no other poem or anything that you could ever write or communicate or act or, or, or draw can ever do. And it creates tension and you can, you can then you have release after that. And, and your mind is just completely blown just by two chords resolving. Easiest right. trick in the book for musicians, but uh, but why does it blow our minds? It's because it, it's literally 
you know, and not to get too metaphysical or whatever, but but forget that because physics. I mean, we are we are energy. We are water. We are we are water absorbing sound waves and energy waves of long duration and micro short duration. And some of those we can hear. Who cares? Some of them we definitely won't hear, and some of them we hear just enough to subliminally mess with our minds, like the article you sent, right? But but at the end of the day, we are music. It's not like music is this thing and we are humans. No, we are music. That interact the man machine. There's no difference between a man and machine. You know how I know that? That's a drum machine. You know what drummer said about that? That that would, that that thing had no soul. You know, you get a, a classic rock drummer. Drum machines they thought were gonna get takeover. You know what this bass line? That's actually a real TV three, not a not a replica. I just put black tape over it, Seth. <laughs> ah, okay, right on. <laughs> But and it's been modified, but um, but the thing is, like, this was meant to be a bass accompaniment to sit on the same piano that set that you mentioned, to act as a bass player so that a pianist can compose a song to a bass line, as a machine, as a robot. It used to be called it's called computer controlled, you know. That was in 1982 mm -hmm. or whatever, computer controlled. So you're you're thinking about this. There's no real difference between a man and a and a machine, or you know, I should say, you know, to, not to sexify, but like a person, a human, and a machine. We are one and the same. We've created machines, but we're also creating humans out of machines now at this point. Like we're, we're doing titanium hearts. We're doing all sorts of super audio, super visual uh, technology. We're creating super humans. Um, and, and, and I think we'll get there. We'll re-merge where it's not human versus machine or, or uh, ver human versus music. It's just one. I mean, I hate mm -hmm. to over, over, over simplify it at a macro level, but we, we arrive at music because music was already within us. You know, <laughs> it's the Dr. Bronner's uh, 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 adage: uh, "All one or none." <laughs> on, the <Right>? soap. <laughs> yeah, on the soap, on the soap container. Uh, you know, you know. In my head, uh, uh, I always tell my students: uh, if you're watching TV, if you're watching YouTube, if you're e experiencing media of any kind, and you uh, and you are feeling something, pause for a minute and uh, try to figure out what the music did to get you there and, uh, and notice the patterns that you react to when you consume media. Because you were talking about um, people like using music to manipulate and, uh, uh, and I'm sorry, but that's like the whole history of film music and it's the whole history of music, which is like a 80 year, like 60, 70 year, um, history of people choosing precisely the right song to make someone feel more like buying something to feel to have precisely the right uh uh music cue in a movie to crank a tear at exactly the right moment um uh to get people fired up to go to battle to get people you know uh, to keep people energetic while they're exercising like it's not a mistake that uh, that people have workout playlists. It's not a mistake uh, that you can change out the soundtrack to the same movie clip uh, with four different songs and get four different emotional effects, and you've not changed anything else but the soundtrack. Um, so these things are are um, uh, uh, have been the uh, purview of, uh, in the case of music, like uh, proprietary. Uh, market research and in the case of film music like uh, uh, apprentice model uh, uh, closed door insider uh, tips and tricks uh, move uh, uh, but it's in general uh, how we digest media uh, is hugely affected by what we're listening to and I, I now go a step deeper it doesn't have to be music uh, the natural world and the sounds around us have just as much of an effect. And those of us who've been socially isolated uh, uh, to the absence of the outside world know that the moment that the, you need to go to the grocery store and you get outside and there's wind, your body feels different than it does inside. And that that kind of like, I'm a human being, I occupy physical space in the universe and, uh, and there's a world around me against which I measure my own value. Uh, Music is a constant uh, stimulus that provides that uh, counterpoint reference and the natural world does the same thing. Uh, uh, it's just us that stopped uh, attending to the, uh, the role that listening plays in the, uh, the cognitive uh, landscape of our existence. Yeah, and I, I'd like to, because clearly we've, we've, we feel the music 
uh, emotionally and it, and it moves us in different ways. And the one thing that caught my attention in the article I was reading is the, the moment when we can't actually hear the music or the sound, yet it mm -hmm. is there still, right? And then right. kind of the other is, um, forget how, what it is or how loud it is, but we feel it. Scott, to your point, when, when they can feel that four to the floor, that does that's, something, right? That's about 106 hertz, and that's um, the frequency that the chest cavity resonates for the average person. Uh, the J Japanese sound engineers figured that out a long time ago at Roland Corporation. That's why the 909 was actually pitched in general at default higher than the 808, because it, and that's why Jeff Mills chose it as his primary instrument and kick for most of his music, because it, it, it literally resonates your body. And, and, and you know, um, Seth, I'd love to hear like some of your, your thoughts on, on feedback and resonance, because um, I'll expand this for a moment. Marco, you and Sean might know where I'm going already, but if you look at like social media, look how we're almost all in our own echo chamber, whether you're on a political left or right, or, or this or that, it's like you're, we're all in an echo chamber and the algorithms are all tuned to feed back to us what we're already um, have propensity to, to like, uh, whether that's an ad or a comment or a news station or whatever it is, it's just, so we're all creating these sine wave feedback loops of, of media, but, but resonance as, is, is the result of, of that feedback, right? And resonance, like when a kick drum hits you in the chest, it's because your body gets twice as much energy out of that same frequency compared to a different frequency. You experience, mm. it helps you. I've, I've walked inside of a bass bin that's 12 feet tall in 1992. Uh, and, and I was inside the bass bin and I, I remember looking at my friend and we didn't have to breathe. We just looked at each other and it was literally forcing the air in and out of our lungs at, at a cyclical rate where we could hold our breath and tell ourselves not to breathe. And we could do it for 10 minutes. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, in terms of resonance, uh, there's two things that I think one of them uh, is uh, uh, I think of the current algorithm, the recommendation algorithm landscape as a um, uh, it will eat itself. Um, uh, people uh, don't want uh, the same thing and then more of it all the time. Uh, you need to, you know, you could have, uh, you know, soup three nights a week and you switch it up and have something else and then soup becomes interesting again. And what I don't see companies doing is injecting, uh, injecting opposition or injecting alternative narrative or injecting uh, uh, counterpoint. Because otherwise, you know, if it's all just synthesis, it's all just coming together and it's all just recommending things that you already appreciate um we there there's a um it's like a, a stimulus um uh there's this thing in in psychophysics where uh you know like if i touch my finger on my palm uh i feel the tap but if i keep my finger on my palm i don't feel anything anymore and uh and it's because the sensory system just doesn't pay attention to repeated stimuli and so eventually you get diminishing, diminishing returns and there's nothing coming back at you. Um, on the other side, you know, there's this resonance that happens between people, which I love the model of resonance for thinking of. There's this um, really interesting critical theorist named Veit Erlman, who wrote a book called Reason and Resonance that ha uh, talks about the idea of um, uh, you and I coming to a mutual understanding of something, meaning that we're getting closer and closer to our thoughts being in phase right? Like when a wave and another wave are out of phase, they cancel one another out. When they're in phase, they reinforce one another and the amplitude expands. Um, and I just think that there's a, um, uh, uh, there is a guiding principle, like if the algorithms were designed not to reinforce you, but to slowly adjust the phase relationship between two people who have uh, opposing views so that it's makes it so that we can see each other's position and then we lock into place and we go, oh, I understand how you're feeling. I don't agree with you, but I now get it. Um, that would be a real communications revolution. Uh, feeding the self is like capitalism. Like it just feed, 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 feed. And then you end up as that fat guy on, uh, on life, or what is it, life of Brian? No, uh, Brazil, just one more wafer. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just going to eat itself. Um, but something that could bring us together in that way through resonance, 
uh, algorithms tuned towards uh, uh, bridging opposition. You know, it could get used real dark, uh, but you know that manipulation uh, requires some power. But I, well, I, I was thinking on on average, right, Marco? It's kind of to your earliest question. I think when we kick this off is on average, music tends to the, the way we experience it and, and the current state of music tends to bring us together more than it draws us apart. But I do mm -hmm. agree Seth, that it could create dissonance. It could create um, standing waves of opposition or, or wave cancellation. I mean, there's, there's so many ways you can attack music. Um, think about granular synthesis for a moment. That seems to me a part of what's wrong with social media too, is it's granularized life into these small blocks of tweets and, mm -hmm. and ads that get rearranged to create some kind of palette of soundscape, but it's not holistic. It's not, it doesn't have full integrity. It's in our right. minds are so tuned to this fast clock. Our clock has gone so fast of consumption of this, these micro dots of data, these grains of data to bring back granular synthesis that we can't really hear pure tones anymore. We can't really say, and we also can't trust media, you know, fake news, fault, you know, memes of, of fake videos. There's so many ways to, to manipulate that negatively, whether you're a nation state or you're, you're a politician, whatever you are, right? So, so trusting in the soundscape is, is, is a challenge right now because it's so granular, so rearranged. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's almost like it's the metaphor for life because right now we could go very dark. We can go politics. We can talk about history. Like, I mean, if you look at the Romans and when they used to give bread and circus was to numb people just by repeating the same show over and over and just give them food so that they're not starving and you can control them. So in a way you're numbing people by even involuntarily, like when you hear uh -huh. this music that is all repetitive, like this echo chamber, social media is doing the same thing. So I feel like humans on one side were fighting to be diverse and to be inspired and to, I don't know, I mean, I have an Iron Maiden t-shirt, but I listen to jazz and classical music and techno or whatever. I mean, I, I listen to everything depending on how I want to be inspired. And it does put me in a completely different mood. Um, if I want to write, if I want to exercise or, or you know, the way I want to feel. But you need to have a vision for, to be open to, to changes. Yeah, Seth, you need to be, have a vision of trying something different every night for dinner instead of the same soup. So you realize right. how many different yeah. flavors are good. So mm -hmm. I feel like there is this constant battle in, in our society between let's keep the status quo and let's hack the shit out of it. Sorry for my French. Yeah. And, and so I, I like the idea that music here is becoming a metaphor for what the future can be. And I think I would like to wrap this conversation in maybe a vision of what the future is going to be. Is it, I don't know if we want to go in artificial intelligence, created music. I'd rather be done by yeah. humans, but um, why? What wait, expire stop. you? you know? why, why, wait, stop. Why did you say you'd rather it be done by humans? I'm super curious. Honest question. Well, okay. Well, we can go that we do, we create artificial intelligence. So it's, done by us even if it's artificial intelligence but no not, well that's, that's, that's a <laughs> uh, well because no no I, I see your no my the point is because it feels like you're communicating feelings with music when when you know a composer write music is is bringing his feeling to lives and he wants to inspire you to have certain feelings so i like the idea that it's coming from a human unless why do you, you like that a idea? conscience uh, artificial intelligence, then we can talk so, about that. So to assess earlier points, just to, we'll play devil's advocate. Not that I disagree with I you. Know. I know, but That's so, why so, I know. Uh, there's a massive debate in the music community, not just technically, like all over, whether AI can or should or um, create music that we enjoy. And the irony about AI is when you first start a narrow AI, like you focus on a problem that's narrow with AI, machine learning, you don't really get necessarily very far at first. And a lot of people kind of lose hope. You get to like this 87 and a half percentile of, of efficacy of some sort. Um, and, and you kind of either shoot the idea or you push through and maybe there's something there. But AI, so think about what Seth said about like commercials or TV, things that inspire the tear to drop at the right moment. Those are arts and sciences, right? When a mm -hmm. human approaches that. And AI would look at it as 
you can gamify this, you could train this in such a way that the AI says, look, I, I know that I know that I know that the right way to drop a tear at this moment is actually this. And that could be based off of a catalog of 20,000 of the best tearjerker movies of the last 40 years. If it, if, you know, if you walk the dog, mm -hmm. right? So is it going to be better than a human at e creating emotions at certain timings? Sure. Could it arrange a song better than a human for a dance floor? Why not? There's different ways to study energy of a dance floor. The DJ does that. Certainly an AI, actually visual AI is pretty darn advanced looking at body and, and um, energy and kinetics. So I, I feel like there's a, an entire world of, of, of revolution of AI that we're just barely on the cusp of. There's some really janky stuff right now making music based on pop music and it kind of sounds weird and it's there, but it's not there. It's kind of nebulous, but that's on the, on the hockey puck of evolution for AI. We're not even turned up yet. We can't even <laughs> see the, you know what I mean? So I, I like to go back to, to why you prefer it to come from a human because the answer might not have anything to do with which one's better at it. No, it's not that. It, I think it's 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 an emotion. It's a it's a humanity. I like. I probably prefer to come from a human, because <laughs> yeah. I feel like if it comes from an artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence has a, as a set goal. At least now, you know, you have to succeed in order to achieve this goal, and you'll do anything in order to achieve that goal. And you may achieve achieve it perfectly. But I feel like the motivation, the inspiration, the reason for it is not, is not what I want. I, I want to hear what you were trying to communicate to me as an artist, not because you're trying to sell me your stuff, but it's because you're trying to motivate me or give me your feelings. So it's they very are, romantic. AI very romantic. is offended and doesn't like your music. <laughs> That's funny. I, you know, I, I would go, uh, I would go, um, I'm going to go back in history and I'll share my screen real quick. Um, yes. I'm going to, uh, so in the office next door to mine uh, is the RCA Mark II synthesizer, which is the first synthesizer. Uh, oh, I, you've disabled attendee screen sharing, which means I can't share my screen. Um, uh, are you able to? Yes. So this synthesizer was developed by the RCA Corporation in, in collaboration with the, um, with the, uh, Columbia University in Princeton, uh, with the idea that it would put um, it would put uh, uh, radio orchestras out of business because for every thirty second like commercial clip on the radio in the fifties, they had to hire a whole orchestra to do all the music and they had the recording sessions and it was remarkably expensive, uh, and so they built this machine. Uh, is the screen sharing okay now? Well, I think you can because it says that the participant can share. So. Yeah, it's not letting me. Okay, uh, let me share. double check something. Host uh, hold on, hold on. I'm changing something. Ah, good. Because <laughs> it's really worth taking a look at. It's uh, 13 feet long, 7 feet tall. It weighs 2 tons. Uh, uh, it, um, Give it a try. Here <laughs> we go. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. here we go. That's, uh, that's going to be, that's us. Here it is. Uh, this is the... This is the RCA Mark II synthesizer. Uh, so it has uh, paper tape rolls uh, that you can punch in values in. Uh, there are an octave of 12 um, uh, sinusoidal oscillators, which are actually canisters with tuning forks in them that are uh, vibrated by electromagnets. Uh, and then 24 sawtooth oscillators, all of which can be patched into transposers, which are over here. Um, over here, a bunch of modulators, uh, all of which can be uh, switched with these relays, which are binary relays, which have four switches for zero, one, one, zero, right? So like you flip the switch. Pretty power. I know it's big, but it's actually pretty powerful for compared to most synths that you would buy as an instrument or guitar center. You wanted to spend 300 to 500 bucks. You would end up with something not quite as powerful as this, especially with all those oscillators, let alone the yeah, sound. It, everything you else. know, seven, 7,000 vacuum tubes. Yeah. Um, just to give you an idea. And then, you know, three years later, Bell Labs invents the transistor and that whole thing can fit in a suitcase. But, um, but the, the idea was that it was going to put a bunch of musicians out of business. Right. And, uh, uh, and I feel this way about AI right now. Like it's, uh, it's not that it, like, we're going to develop it because capitalism really wants to like save labor and replace it with non-pay labor, right? So they put all of this, they front load money into R and D that builds tools that, 
are for their goal, but always, almost always backfires because humans love to hack things. And so, uh, you know, uh, a student at uh, at Columbia at the time that this thing was built in 57 uh, was Bob Moog, uh, who developed the Moog synthesizer, which is the birth of, of, of the commercial synthesizer as we know it. So, um, uh, you know, the, um, the same thing with AI, like Isotope is doing brilliant things right now with automated mixing tools where it can get pretty close to to mixing it and you go come in for the last 10% tweak things, right? Um, but what's gonna end up happening is people are gonna start to use, to realize what that tool can do, hack what the tool can do and use it to make even more effective music. So like they can hack at this problem as much as they want. Uh, they're gonna end up just making more tools for human beings to get even better at the job. Uh, and I'm confident because that's been the pattern uh, throughout the history of computation because we're incredibly myopic when it comes to algorithm design. We're hugely myopic when it comes to, um, to bias and human uh, predisposition in the way that we think about making computers think. Uh, and so- We're horrible yeah, bring at all it on. of that. Yeah, yeah, we're really terrible at all of it. It's, it's really weird. Like if you look at this industry, right? There are probably thousands of vendors making dozens of modules um, and each and some of these are in their bedroom and some of these are mass produced and um, What's fascinating is the oscillator. You can probably find 400 different oscillators that are all based basically off of the same original thing that Moog Mo did or same thing with the 24 dB ladder filter four pole filter and, and and there's very little innovation in the modular world, despite what each creator would think about that statement. Um, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, there's when you look at the building blocks of sound design, those building blocks haven't really changed a whole lot. There are yep. some really interesting ideas, and in, in like Seth, like you're saying, how you actually modulate that as an artist. And that word artist is what gets lost more times than not. The, the, the art of expressing oneself as a musician, if you will, is a dying art. It's, it's mm -hmm. because there's so many compensations that a lot of um, a lot of folks will come up with just with the computer, just with this, and they take so much of the theory and understanding for granted that they don't know how to break it because they never had to learn it. You can't, it's hard to break what you don't understand. Right. 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 So that's, that's why they're calling you a, Seth, a hacker the whole time because, you know, hacking requires a certain degree of, I got to take this problem apart and understand it before I attempt to break it in order to make it better or to better liberate it. Yep. And that's, that's what exactly. you do. And that's, you are. You, you need to know the rule in order to break the rules. Exactly. And you, you use <laughs> that in, in, in a lot of setting, but mostly yeah. creative artists, right? I mean, he's so creative, he's not following the rules, but he knows the painters, what the rule of painting of chiaroscuro or whatever it is, or musician that you build through the line. And then you're like, yeah, I can break this rule. So, Caravaggio. Yeah, that's the Perfect. hacking that, that, uh, important cool. yeah. yeah and we we need to create more norms or we're creating more norms so that we can break those norms as well and uh yeah. and i'm glad shaggy that you you gave the positive note that music maybe not the answer but certainly a huge part of the answer for uh for a, a, I, a nice have, a nice I, society and, and humanity <laughs> i have a if only if only clip. for our productivity yeah go ahead yeah no I have a small clip of about, I don't know, I don't know, eight bars, if, if you will, maybe 16 at the most of just, I'll just isolate just the 303. Right? And if you think about electronic music and you think about synthesis, this, this little several hundred dollar unit from 1980 made out of mostly plastic. And uh, it, it is, it is literally the, the sound of majority techno that you've ever heard in, in your life, nine times out of 10 that matter. And when I say that matter, it's because this thing actually has a design into it that no other synthesizer in this studio or anywhere else on the planet does other than clones of it. And if you look at the way it's designed, when you talk about resonance, the, the energy that hits when you put an accent on a note, it does things to what's called the envelope and the duration of the tack, but also to the energy of the, ener the resonance. It semi-drains it as it hits because of the way the power, the power rail is designed on this. And what the effect... Uh, the design aside, the, the human effect of that is that this thing can sound like a cat or a child wailing. And, and it's why it's so expressive because it makes, you, it makes you yearn. It makes you feel like that's a voice. When a 303 is in a track, it's nearly always the main point of whatever you're listening to in the mix when it's in there. It commands 
your attention beyond any other instrument, electronic instrument there is. So I'll, I'll just play this. And this is just something I recorded like uh, two nights ago for Left for the Lake. Um, and it's out of context. I'm not going to put the beat and everything else in there, but it was inspired by um, what's going on in the news with Black Lives Matter, et cetera, uh, and, and, and Harold's murder. So, um, but this is just a 303 part of it. And it's very basic, but you can hear that wow, 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 that what we call a bark or a wow, that only the 303 really does well. So I'll just modulate even the volume there just to give you the, the, the effect. But... Right on. Classic. Love it. Love it. And Shaggy, and we can, you've, uh, hear you've you muted yourself. You. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I get really excited. I shut myself I down. I blow up. As a matter of fact, I was I was suggesting Sean as we're going long, and I know you know you, you guys have to do other stuff, and uh, that this was the soundtrack to to finish it all. And yes. maybe we'll, we'll pick it go. up. We'll pick it up from here in another conversation. Definitely a lot to talk uh, about, Sean. Would totally, totally appreciate that. And uh, yeah, who knew where we were gonna go? And I'm I'm glad we went where we did. And yep. There it is. Hopefully, cool. hopefully made people think. That's our only goal with this, and you certainly made me think. So thanks. Thanks, guys. Very fun. Music, Thanks music the is the answer. It is the answer. Seth, next time, can you fire up that RCA for us? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd take out the power grid in Harlem if I did, though. <laughs> it's really good to meet you. I really appreciate you guys good bringing to it together. Yeah. Um, thank thank you, guys, for yeah. being part yeah. of this. Yeah. Excellent. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and this story made you think, then share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our columns. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. <laughs>